Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. This is Dan Moore, your host. And today I am very, very excited because we have the opportunity to talk to Dr. Chip Bell. Dr. Chip has got an amazing background academically, but what's most important is how many great companies he has helped to dramatically enhance their bottom lines and their reputation through focusing on amazing and innovative customer service. I think we all know that today we have customers that, in Chip's words, are picky, fickle, and vocal. And so how to help guide customers or companies how to gain that loyalty. Uh, He's always been customer-centered, and we're going to find out some things from him about how he developed his career in those areas. He is one of the world's leading authorities on customer loyalty and innovative service. In fact, Global Gurus ranked him number one in North America in this fact and number two in the entire world. He's written more than 700 columns for business journals that all of us know, appeared on TV, radio, and in magazines such as Business Week, Forbes, Fast Company, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Money Magazine, and Entrepreneur. In addition, he somehow found the time to author numerous best-selling books that are all about innovative service and some really creative uh, topics as well. Sprinkles is one of the ones that I'm intrigued by. The title Sprinkles, Creating Awesome Experiences Through Innovative Service. Now, recently, Chip came out with a, his newest book, Kaleidoscope, on delivering innovative service that sparkles. It's going to be an award-winning book, as so many have. And the endorsers of his books, they're a who's who in the area of dealing with customers correctly. From Four Seasons, Zappos, Starbucks, Ritz-Carlton, Wolfgang Puck, Build-A-Bear, JetBlue, Marriott, on and on and on. He's also developed award-winning training programs, including Delivering Innovative Service, which won a 2016 Best Classroom Award by HR.com. It just goes on and on. So, Chip Bell, welcome so much to the Action Catalyst. Thank you, Dan. I'm honored to be here. Excited to be here. That's going to be fun. Yeah, it will be fun. Well, academically, you've got degrees from University of Georgia, from Vanderbilt, and you have a PhD from George Washington University in organization, behavior, and HR development, and then went to work with Bank of America. What then transpired, instead of just staying in the big corporate world, to cause you to want to create your company that has done so much for so many? Uh, well, thank you so much. Um, I, I guess number one was I needed, um, I felt like I needed more freedom than any major organization at that time could provide me. Um, and I'll give you an interesting story that uh, sort of was a turning point. Let's call it better, a tipping point. Um, I was working on a major project and I needed to not have the distraction of people coming in and out of your office all day long. And I told my, uh, my, my direct report, my boss, um, I said, I'm going to stay home this morning. I'm 10 minutes in the bank and uh, I'm going to work on this so I can stay focused. And you know where I am, you know, I'm 10 minutes away. And so he said, fine, fine. I know where to get you. And about uh, an hour that morning into my study, I got a call and he said, you need to come in. I go, well, what's up with this? He said, well, 
the CEO came in and wanted to know where the hell you were. And, and I told him you were working at home and he said, tell him to get in here. He's got to be in his office. So I, that was sort of my, and of course that was back a, a lot of years ago when people were supposed to be in their office all day long. And so I realized then I, I needed a lot more freedom. Uh, and, and I wanted to follow my own passion and, and I also, it was an opportunity to grow. Uh, when you work with one organization, there is by definition a limit to how much you grow. When you work with a lot of organizations, you tend to learn a lot more. So that was important to me as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think led you to this lifelong interest in providing innovative, amazing customer service and gaining customer loyalty, that particular niche, which is so critical? Um, what do organizations do to respond more effectively to the marketplace they serve? That was the culture that they uh, created was always an interest. And that's basically my academic pursuit was around all of that. Um, but the whole interest in innovative service happened uh, a number of years ago when I began to recognize customers today don't talk about, tweet about a, a good service. Um, what they look for is, is it different? Is it unique? Is it unusual? Um, and so the standards have been elevated to the point that just providing plain old ordinary good service is not enough. It, it may create great customer retention. You not, don't necessarily lose a customer, but it won't build a kind of advocacy where the customers out there is bragging about you and get, encouraging more people to come to your organization. So um, customer loyalty is is a lot different than customer satisfaction or customer retention. And so I think most organizations care about, I want my customers to be my, my uh, spokesperson out there. And so when they have a unique experience, particularly one that's profound, which we can talk about, um, that touches them in such a way that um, they're, they're changed by it, then I, I think that, that, uh, that's the whole realm of innovative service. And so it's looking for what I call creating experiences that are not just value added, but are value unique. Um, it's not about making the customer go, wow, it's about making them go, whoa, I didn't expect that. Uh huh. So we've got to go beyond just what it takes to not lose a customer. We want them to go, wow, become advocates, spokesmen, vocal Absolutely. cheerleaders for what we do. Absolutely. And they trust you more. They identify with your brand. I mean, there's a lot of great payoff when, when you have that kind of affinity that you have created through the experiences they have when they deal with you, not just the quality of the outcome or quality of the product. It's, right. it's, it's all about the experience. I think that's the major differentiator in organizations, whether they're B2B or B2C, mm-hmm. is what kind of relationship, what kind of experiences are you creating on top of providing a, a great quality product or service, an outcome uh, at a fair price. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you believe that can be actually the competitive advantage for a company. Absolutely. I think you can. Uh, Yeah, I think you can. And I think it can become the differentiator. Um, You know, there's research that shows customers will pay 15, 20% more for a great experience um, for the same product, same outcome. Um, So we know it can be a differentiator, um, particularly, particularly when it's not just uh, more than I expected when it's different than I expected. And so mm-hmm. here again, that's sort of the realm of providing innovative service, not just really, really good service. Um, my good friend, Matt Dixon, wrote a great book about the effortless economy in which he talks about, you know, put your effort in, in, in effortless uh, and don't worry about delighting the customer. But his research was all around things we did that exceed the customer's expectation. 
you know, they upgrade you to first class. Um, they upgrade your room to the concierge level. Those sort of additions that they provide this takes customers' expectations and adds to them. And my work is not about that. My work is around uh, is something that's more imaginative. It's about uh, creating inventive service. Um, and then behind that, how do you create a culture where your people who are interfacing with the customer every day uh, have the, the authority and capacity to do that um, and create those kind of unexpected um, creative responses to them that create that story customers are eager to share. Mm-hmm. You know, most organizations have some kind of a customer service function, but what you're talking about is really elevating the whole attitude of the entire organization, where it's not just people that receive those phone calls, but it's the point of sale. It's the person that is carrying the bags. It's the individual that is answering the phone all the above, isn't it? Absolutely. And and it's not just people who, uh, as you say, are facing the customer, customer facing people or customer interacting people. It's all everybody. If you look at the organizations renowned for great customer service, you know, I'll take Rich Carlton as a good example because I've worked with them. Um, you know, the, the way they serve each other in the back of the house is a carbon copy of the way they serve their guests in the front of the house. And so, it's creating that culture where everybody thinks and breathes and thinks about the customer. Um, you know, the, the old adage that's been around for a long time. If you're not serving customers, you're serving somebody who is, um, I think Carl Albrecht wrote that, uh, Jan Carlson quoted it in uh, one of their early books, but it's all about, we're all about customer being customer centric. Cause as Sam Walton said, you know, the customer can fire everybody from the chairman of the board down to the lowest level individual simply by spending their money somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so I think creating organizations that um, are focused on the customer and, again, have the culture that drives that orientation. Right. One of my former guests here was the retired CEO of Bridgestone Firestone, and they never used the word customer. They always used the word boss. Yes, absolutely. And I, I've done a keynote for Bridgestone Firestone in Nashville um, and, and down there at the Country Music Hall of Fame uh, down 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 near you. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I, I witnessed that. It's all about the boss because they are the boss. And the final analysis, they write your check. Mm-hmm, completely true. Uh, well, going back into your own personal business history a little bit more, how did you actually launch your business? You know, you, you came from a big bank background. You had a lot of initials behind your name, but so many of our listeners are entrepreneurs that like to be entrepreneurs and launch their own. What were some of the early steps and, and lessons you learned, even some of the mistakes you made that can be? Oh, yeah, good, good, good. Well, I, I, I get asked that a lot and I, um, about if I'm getting ready. Well, first of all, people come to me and say, I'm thinking about starting my business. And I usually say, go back uh, and come back and talk to me when you say, I got to do this. <laughs> you know, you're just thinking about it. You're not ready. <laughs> you're not ready. But I always tell people there are several things I think important that I that, that were helpful for me. One is I created a long lead time. Um, I, I identified the fact that I wanted to have my own company two years before I did it. I started saving my money, made sure that uh, once I I um, and my advice to them, do you got if, if you looked at how much uh, or how much money you got when you start your business, could you if you got no money no money at all for the next two years, you're going to be okay. And um, so it's thinking about one, I've got to have the kind of financial resource that gets me through that tough start. Uh, how much, how much do you know your marketplace? I spent a lot of time getting to decide 
who I wanted to be, what was going to make me distinctive, how, what was going to set me apart, how was I going to be different than others in my business, who was going to be my target market, what they valued, what's important. So I think identifying some of those, uh, those kind of areas early, going to school on your tar- target market. Um, I think ha- creating your own board of directors, board of advisors, that, uh, that are people who know and things you need to know, but they know more than you do about it. Um, you know, how do you put together a, a business plan? How do you put together a marketing plan? Uh, all of those things, I think, are, are key competencies I didn't have, but I, I was fortunate to have uh, advisors and helpers along the way who, who had that expertise and were willing to share it with me. Um, I think letting people know early in, early in, the, in, your, in your launch that you plan to do this. Um, and start start networking very early, not before, not the day you hang out your shingle. Um, I think, but I think it starts. I think it starts with what is it you love? You know, what is it that that is the source of your passion and interest? Because you're going to have to if starting your own business. Resilience is going to be key, and what drives your resilience and stick to itiveness is going to be, you know, some calling that you that's driving your 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 energy and the and the patience to, to go the distance. If you look at all of the folks who have been successful starting their own business, they'll probably tell you somewhere along the way, resilience, the ability to hang in there long enough because you believe so deeply in what you're about and what you can do and the contribution that you can make in the community that you serve. Um, so I think it starts with that passion. Um, I read recently a Warren Buffett uh, interview where he was – visiting Harvard and uh, they, uh, some individual was going to put pick him up and and uh, at the airport and they're driving along. This is a Harvard B school student and he was going to be pre- presenting to the Harvard Business School class. And this kid was already starting to identify customer the companies he wanted to work for that he thought would look real good on his resume. And he said, um, Buffett said, well, what is it you love? Well, I can't worry about that right now. I got to pick a really good company I want to work for that'll make my resume look good. Someday, uh, I'll get a chance to do what I want to do, what I love. And I and that and he said, you know, it's to him. It's like waiting on sex until you get uh, to get to be old age. That was his analogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought that was a great example. Start with your passion, your energy, what you love, um, what gets you excited. And I think building a and building an enterprise around that passion, uh, to me, is number one. That is this going to make a difference? Um, is this going to fuel that the resilience that you're going to need? Right. What I hear you saying, without you saying it, Chip, is that the desire to have a lot of money is insufficient reason. I, I, absolutely. I, you know, that's to me that shouldn't even be on your list. Um, you know. M- Making a lot of money is sort of a, a byproduct of uh, one byproduct of success, um, but it doesn't it doesn't communicate your purpose. You know, even organizations. You know, uh, Drucker told us years ago the purpose of an organization is to create and retain a customer. You know, the, the return on your investment is just the way you keep score. Um, making money. I mean, that's just one of the elements. I think there are far more things important than being. If you start out saying my goal is to make a lot of money. You know, um, I don't think you're going to make. I don't really think you're going to make it because you won't have you won't go to the distance because you're going to have a lot of disappointments. You're going to have a lot of, oh my God, am I going to be able to get through the month and look at that? You know, I don't have enough in the pipeline to get me past June or whatever. All of those things are going to come in, and if you're just all about money, you'll you'll sell out. You'll make decisions that are not uh, 
uh, not wise because you're focusing on what's going to make me money rather than what's going to create a presence in the marketplace that that is laced with with um, professionalism and integrity and those things that are going to be features that will, will keep you going and keep you give you stay in power in terms of the longevity of your organization. Mm-hmm. We, we use a phrase when you look at a potential customer and you have dollar signs in your eyes, they will never become an actual customer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your customers need to know you're, I mean, obviously they, when they know you want to make a, make a living and you want to make money, I mean, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that, but they want you to feel, they want to feel like you're there for there for them and your commitment is to them. Your, your commitment, you're not there to, you know, to lace your own, you know, for your own business, you're there to serve. And so again, it's that core is how can I serve my customer in a way that makes a difference in their life, makes a difference in their bottom line, makes a difference in their reputation in the communities they serve. Right. It's very instructive because you spoke a lot about resilience and there are always going to be setbacks. Can, can you share maybe a time or two when you were just moving right along and all of a sudden out of nowhere, a gigantic brick wall hits you and bent your nose and you just couldn't see around it, over it or anything? Yeah, how about, two, how about 2008? <laughs> how about 2008? <laughs> you know, how about 2000? You know, I, I think there are certain times you have things in your, uh, if, you, if you've built your business around um, a particular distinctiveness in the marketplace, you know, what do you do when when the interest in that goes away? How, you know, you've got the best buggy whip in the marketplace, but nobody wants one anymore. Um, I think being, and those things have happened to me where all of a sudden, you know, there's not the desire for what you do. And I think what it requires is keeping on, uh, keeping loyal to your calling is that as an entrepreneur, you've got to be able to reinvent yourself constantly, not reinvent your values, not reinvent your core uh, purpose, but reinvent its expression in the marketplace. And so that means customers are changing. You need to be able to adapt with it. And I think some of the mistakes that I have made in the past have been not seeing the trends quick enough to be able to say, oh, I got a zig and zag with this. And then you, you end up being victim of circumstances that are not within your like like a downturn in the economy, you know, where people go, well, I don't need a keynote speaker. We're just going to do it in-house or have some internal person because we can't afford it. Or, you know, we're going to have we don't we don't need this consulting work. We'll just let somebody internally do it or whatever, whatever happens to come your way that suddenly makes the perceived worth of what you do, not what it used to be. And I think the ability to be able to zig and zag and, and adjust and adapt. Um, is a crucial commodity for any successful entrepreneur that goes a distance. You know, I've been doing this 40 years, and um, and uh, believe me, I've, if there's a mistake out there, I'm, I'm sure I've made it more than once. Um, but I've tried to limit how many times I've made that mistake. I've tried to learn from it. Um, sometimes it takes a while, and um, you got to be hit on the head with it a few times. But I've tried, I tried to, to be a student of the marketplace, a student of the customer, and, and try to translate that into my business and how it operates uh, in a way that be, that, that's successful. But I think it's, it, you know, uh, there are many things that affect that friends of mine have experienced, a death of a, of a loved one that's changed your, you know, your, what you do and how you do it. Um, there are any number of things. But I think here, again, one aspect, in addition to adaptability, is the degree to which you have sort of the, you've got a plan, a backup plan. You've got, you're again, that's why I hit that economic 
what's in your bank account? Keep, you know, can you live two years without without uh, getting any more uh, income? I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's just something that's good when you start your business. I think it's good forever because here again, there are going to be factors and the, the, the features that are going to come your way that are going to knock you down economically, and you've got to say, I can still feed my family for a while till I get back on my feet and figure out what I need to do next. Absolutely. Because if we don't have our powder kept dry, we can't use it when we really need it. Absolutely. And rely That's a great on way it. to put it. That's a great way to put it, Dan. Now, what about the sort of the inner part of that, though, Chip? In other words, what, what do you say to yourself? How do you coach yourself when you're in these moments? Because I heard what you said about have contingencies, have a plan B, know when yep. to zig, when to zag. But when you're just rocked back on your heels, because all of us have been through that. A lot of our listeners are, are right there now, rocked back. Is there sort of a self-talk, uh, self-coaching? Yeah, I say God still loves me. <laughs> All uh, right, <laughs> God still loves me, and and I and I mean that uh, literally and figuratively. The figurative side means is you 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 aren't your work, you aren't your work. Um, you you are something that is uh, that is grander and more amazing than your work, mm-hmm. and uh, and so. Um, I try to, I, that's one thing I try to tell myself um, all the time. I also happen to be surrounded by um, loving friends and family who, um, uh, who who care about me unconditionally. Um, and so the fact that I'm going through a time that's, quote, not successful uh, from their standpoint, they still care about you. And I think surrounding yourself with people who, who think the world of you, who love you, I think is a, a, an important um, foundation for those tough times. But I, I, I do, I say God, God still, I mean, I blew this, but God still loves me. I, I still love me. Um, I'm still a good person. I'm still a person who cares about their purpose and I'm not going to be wavered by that or, uh, or wavered from that and, and try and distracted. I'm going to get back on that horse at fall hurt. Um, but I'm going to get back on that horse. Um, cause that's why I'm here. That's my purpose in life. Um, and so that's the kind of messages that I, I give. I'm, I'm by nature. Uh, thank, thank, I had great uh, uh, family upbringing that taught me that the importance of finding joy in your life and being optimistic and looking for the, the turning every problem into an opportunity. And, you know, it, so, you know, life gives you lemons Though you look, you say lemonades in here somewhere. In fact, I think it's probably a margar- margarita, but um, <laughs> so you know, that's, you know, so that's the kind of thing I do. I, I keep trying to do that self-talk that says, you know, what you're doing is worthwhile and you are worthwhile doing it. And so let's get back on that horse and get going again. That is powerful information, Chip. And it's, it's an encouragement to me personally. And I know it will be to, to so many of our listeners. It's the difference between saying I failed versus I am a failure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Keeps our self-esteem intact. Absolutely. That's great. Well, you know, you you talked about how you've been in this business for about 40 years and you were in banking for a long time and you were a student a long time. We never tell people's ages, but you're somebody that has been thriving and growing for decades and decades and decades. How do you avoid complacency and wanting to just coast and settle back and say, well, look what I've done? 
Oh, gosh. Because uh, what I've done is far less uh, exciting than what I'm going to do. I'm going to be that's the honest truth. I, you know, I've been uh, my, I've got I got a younger brother uh, who retired years ago and uh, he keeps uh, telling me, he says um, he's a big avid hunter. And he said, when are you going to retire? And I go, when are you going to quit hunting? And he goes, well, and then he'll, then he'll say, well, you got plenty of money. And I said, well, you got a freezer full of venison and you still go deer hunting. And so to me, the, the, the point is I do what I love and I can't imagine not doing it. And, and if God gives me the, the capacity, um, mental and physical capacity to keep doing what, what I love, uh, I'm going to keep look going forward and, and growing, trying to grow and trying to, make a difference in what I do. To me, that excites me. I, you know, I can't wait to get up in the morning every day and, and get going on what, what I'm here for. And, um, and so the idea of saying, you know, <laughs> I, I, my wife's, uh, is a professor at university and, um, you know, she's, she, we're, we're same age. And, uh, people say, they ask her sometimes, she said, when, when are you going to retire? And she says, you know, I looked that word up in the dictionary and it means to go to bed and I'm not sleepy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that's kind of a fun way to look at it. And I, I know people who retire and God bless them. I think that's wonderful if that's important to them and they get, but what I find most people get to retire and when I talk to them about it, they go, and now I get to do what I love, you know, mm-hmm. like play golf or hunt or whatever they like to do. Well, I'm not retired because I keep doing what I love. And right. so, you know, it's, it's, if you're keep, I think if you keep growing, um, then that's, that's a different, I had a great friend of mine, Malcolm Knowles, who was, uh, 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 renowned in the, in the field. And he said, he did a research one time that looked at people who live, um, 10 years past 65 and t- people who, who died within 10 years of, of retiring at 65 and to try to find what the difference is between those who, um, who didn't make it to 75 after retiring at 65 and those who did. And what he found was kind of stunning. And he said the difference was fundamentally they, the ones who kept living, never stopped growing. Mm-hmm. You know, Bob Dylan, the great folk singer said, if you aren't busy living, you're busy dying. And so <laughs> to me, it's all, it's all about continual growth and continuing to do what, um, wh- while you're here. Right. He also sang about moving on from setbacks when he said, don't think twice. It's all right. It's all right. Absolutely. (laughs) One of my favorite songs. Well, I I think that's great. What a fantastic thing to say, Chip. What I've done is far less exciting than what I'm going to do. Uh, Well, that's the way I feel every day. (laughs) Well, I think it's fantastic. Um, Just being around you through this medium of video here, I feel uplifted and encouraged and full of energy. What would you say to somebody that is completely out of aces you know they have they've done all they can they don't have that nest egg they're just flat on the ground uh what what do you try to teach or counsel one who is just completely discouraged well i i i i start with uh when and i'm gonna be repetitive here i start by asking we you know the the fred hertzberg question Mm-hmm. You remember Fred Hertzberg and his study that led to the motivational work and his motivation hygiene theory, but it also started when he, right. yeah, yeah. He, he talked to engineers and he said, when you really, really feel good about your work, what's going on? Tell me what's going on. What's happening around you. And I think questions like that may help people to say, well, look at your day, look at your week, look at your month. 
were there moments in, in when you felt really good or moments when you felt a sense of joy? And what was that all about? What were the features of that? And how can you rekindle that? And how can you pursue that uh, in, in the work that you do? And I think, uh, to me, um, starting with a, with a happy place is, a, is an easier place from which to build um, than starting with a dark side. We all tend to want to move toward the light. And I think that's true of somebody who's down and out. Um, the other, the other thing I try to advise people who are just like you described, they don't, they don't know where they're going to go from there is to rekindle their connection with people who are, who can give you hope and encouragement and support. A lot of times when I find people who are down like that, they've been listening to the wrong people. Mm. Uh, they've been listening to people who tell them how uh, essentially useless they are and how they're a failure or whatever messages they're getting. They're dark messages rather than happy, positive messages. And I, I say, you know, look at your friends and say, am I with people who can lift me up or people who, who kind of uh, bring me down? Um, so a lot of times your environment can shape a lot of your next turn, I think. And so those, those are two things I'd recommend. Oh, I think that's fantastic. So, so find even the faintest spark, which is always brighter than dark. Yeah. And that and do that by being with people that bring out the best in you and stop listening to the people that just make you feel bad. Absolutely. It takes two plants to start a fire, you know? Um, so finding people who can, who can work with you with that other piece of flint to start that fire inside you is always a good one. Oh, I think that's, Absolutely awesome. Chip, this is amazing. Time with you goes really, really fast, my friend. Thanks. (laughs) I appreciate that, Dan. Well, we're looking forward to not only sharing this with our many listeners, but also watching you continue to impact people and keep us all remembering it's about that extraordinary extra push, that extra value, that unexpected wow that creates loyalty, excitement, and turns every single customer into a promoter. Absolutely. If you could live every day like a box of Cracker Jacks, think about it. We love Cracker Jacks, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a popcorn. It wasn't that cool box. It, it was, was a that, prize. It was a prize, something that was a, financially worthless but emotionally priceless because we didn't know what that prize was going to be. You know, that's We right. knew there was one in there, and to me, that's kind of a metaphor for life. You know, There's going to be a prize inside if I look, and I'm going to be surprised by it. Life is an adventure. I'd like to share a little surprising customer loyalty story about Cracker Jacks that happened when I was five years old. My uh, dad bought a box of Cracker Jacks for my brother and I, and we opened it up immediately looking for the prize, and something went wrong in quality control. And in this particular box, there was no prize. Oh, my goodness. When you're five and six and you got big tears in your eyes, it's crushing. It's crushing. (laughs) My, my, My father got out a device that you can only find in a museum now called a typewriter. And he, uh, he wrote a letter to Cracker Jack and he said, right. I certify there was no prize in there and you just should know about it so you can improve your processes. Well, about two weeks later, a big box arrived and it oh. had every single prize Cracker Jack offered with an apology note. Oh, isn't that wonderful? That's why that company's been around 100 years. That's exactly right. So I think we can all look for those little ways to do things. And right. uh, you've inspired us to remember that. Thank you so much. I enjoyed being with you. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.